Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 75 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Lori Van Janssen, a lingerie designer who started out in the industry back in 2003. She first worked as a lingerie designer for brands, but quickly built her own brand of full cup small back bras that she sold throughout the world, including in Topshop. Lori now works as a freelance designer working with other startup brands to help them launch their label, get their patterns, their grading, their tech packs all in order so that their bras and lingerie fits perfect. She has so many great stories to tell and loads of advice from her very long experience in the industry. I know you guys are going to love the interview. Whether you want to start a lingerie brand or you're working as a freelance designer, Lori's got great advice from both sides of the table to share with you in this interview. As always, if you guys enjoyed this podcast, I would be so grateful if you would share it with others. All too often, I hear people saying that they wish they found out about the podcast sooner, and I'd like to get more ears on the show to get this information and knowledge out to as many people out there who need it. I know there's tons more people out there who aren't getting access to this sort of behind the scenes advice that is not often shared in the fashion industry. If you're part of a Facebook group where you think people would find this podcast valuable, I would be so grateful if you would take 30 seconds and share the show with them. I'm sure they would appreciate it and I appreciate it as well. All right, let's jump into the interview with Lori. To access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 75. Welcome, Lori, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. I'm really, really excited to chat with you today. Um, can you please start by introducing yourself and telling everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do in the fashion industry? Yeah, so my name's Laurie Van Janssen. I currently work as a freelance lingerie designer and author. Awesome. Okay, but you have like so much more backstory than that. So yeah, go through the go through the a little bit more of the backstory. Yeah, so I started off at De Montfort University where I studied contour fashion. And then after sort of finishing then I applied for a UK manufacturer's um, job, but in and they specialized in lingerie and swimwear. But they didn't have any available slots. So randomly, I ended up taking a job in uh, children's wear, like designing T-shirts. Not that I had any experience in that. I don't quite know how I got the job. <laughs> but I ended up, yeah, my own little studio, had my own sample machinist, and was designing sort of outerwear. And then they got really busy on the laundry side. So I kind of like, oh, I'll give you a hand. And sort of moved into that studio and ended up working there for three years. And they did uh, designs for like Topshop, Next, River Islands, of all the British high street brands. And then I always wanted to travel. So I bought myself a one-way ticket to Thailand and then was on an island called Koh Tao. And one of the diving structures had a shop. 
and she was on about how she didn't want sort of always high sizes for swimwear and wanted to do like European sizes. So I was like, oh, I can help you with that and I had like a little sketchbook with me. So she looked at all my stuff and I ended up designing for her and like hand grading all the patterns in the sun with a little bit. It was awesome. <laughs> and sort of then from then I moved on and ended up in Belfast and just with my sort of backpack and had an idea to start my own brand. So I always, because I've done it out in sort of um, Thailand, I thought, well, if I can do it out there, I can do it sort of back in the UK. So I decided to go for um, bigger cups, smaller backs, due to the fact that it was 2003 and there wasn't really much out there for that sort of sizing. So I um, still had all my contacts from previous work. So sort of took a part-time job, researched it all a bit more and sort of started started the brand. And then sort of it sort of progressed from there. So it went on sort of for three to four years or so. Um, and then, sorry, I'm just I'm losing a bit of track of my uh, sort of story now. Um, That's okay. I actually have a few questions of like kind okay, of where cool. we're at already. Um, so you said you studied contour fashion. Did I hear that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. I didn't know so that's it, a thing. <laughs> yeah. So in it's more contour now. When I took it, it was fashion and textiles with the pathway of being contour. And uh, Leicester was the only one in um, the UK. Now there's another one in London College of Fashion. So how and exactly just, would you like define that as like, so, is this lingerie, so it, like fitted stuff? Yeah. Yeah, it's a BA honours in fashion and textile. So I did sort of like covered corsets, covered um, underwear bras, um, briefs, but I also had to do the fashion side of things because at the time it was still sort of split into two. But now I think if I'm right, it's just as contour as well. So you okay. mix with the fashion students as well. So I kind of learnt... I think you always think you learn loads, but until you sort of enter your first job, and you're like, <laughs> I actually probably don't know as much as I should. Yeah. And it was in my first job that um, there was a woman I learned so much from. She'd been in, in the industry for like sort of, sort of like 10, 15 years. So learned all the grading side. And because of the UK manufacturer, I sort of got to see what stitch goes through um through the machines the quickest sort of like for costing purposes as well so it was a really good sort of first job because obviously there's not many UK manufacturers around now yeah okay and so then you kind of started you went to to Thailand and started focusing on you said small backs large busts so what are what's the range here like 34 to G or what are we looking at it was 28 to 34 C to double F okay and that was because I was at that time like a 30E and I'd done sort of long haul flights and always like, oh my God, I have to unclip my bra again. <laughs> and my cousin who I was traveling with was like a 34B and had like little nice soft bras and we looked really comfy. So I kind of wanted to do that sort of niche side of the market and kind of sort of, uh, sort of go on to sort of a double F side. And I find, I don't know if you're the same, but I find as a designer, if I have um, restrictions, I kind of design better. Because when you think, oh, I can design anything, you kind of sometimes don't 
sort of start or you sort of start in one direction and you change. So mine was sort of you were 28 to 34, um, C to the F. So obviously that limited certain shapes, certain fabrics. And I also wanted not to kind of do beige or white because that's sort of all that was out there. So it was kind of like a fun sort of brand with, I loved Liberty Fabrics. So I sort of entailed that into the brand as well. Yeah. And so this is because, uh, so just clear up here, because I know you said you were helping another woman in, and was it in Thailand? You in Thailand, yeah. Do, the, do all of yeah. that stuff. Yeah. But then you so started did, your own thing. Yeah. So I did, so I returned to, me and my cousin, when we used to travel countries, used to do paper, scissors, stone to sort of see where we used to go. And we wanted to go back to the UK. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to go back exactly from where we were. So it was a choice between Edinburgh and Belfast and Belfast won. So I ended up there for seven years. And I sort of set up Banjo and it was really good because I was sort of got quite a lot of support. I did uh, Princess Trust, which is a um, a young person's place where you can get loans or grants. And we do sort of between 18 and 30. So I got a £3,600 loan to sort of start up my business. Okay. And where and, are we in the time? Like where are we in 2000 what, roughly? 2000 and five i started banjo okay banjo that's kind of yeah a, like a merge of your last name a yeah, yeah. Of your last name yeah yeah okay and so um so you got this loan from what was it called princess it's trust called princess trust yeah okay and so what'd you do were you like okay i have this money now now what do i do uh so uh some of it was to also i went on a business course where that it was called Invest and I, and they gave you a grant as well of like seven hundred pounds, which I spent on underwires. And <laughs> like, oh, okay, that's all gone. And then, so yeah, so I took the money. I bought like fabrics. I uh, um, built a uh, paid someone to build a website. At the time, you couldn't really do it yourself. I didn't have the knowledge. Whereas yeah. nowadays, it's a lot easier. Yeah. And. So, yeah, and then there's obviously labels, swing tickets. I've got everything graded. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it took me about a year to set up because I was getting a UK uh, manufacturer to make it, but they went bust. So then it sort of delayed me. So I kind of uh, learned how to sew to a level I was happy with to sort of, and then sort of approached uh, shops. I did some sale or return. And then others I, I sold directly to and sort of sold online as well. Okay, I so did, go ahead. I did make the mistake, a really big mistake of when I started. I was like, yeah, I'll do lingerie. I'll do men's underwear. I'll do T-shirts. I'll do men's T-shirts. Oh, I'll do jewellery. And I did spend some of the money going, oh, yeah, I can do all this, mm. rather than sort of be all like a real niche. Lingerie is what I knew. So... But you sort of kind of get carried away at the start of thinking, yeah, I can do this, I can do that, not realising actually it's just you <laughs> making everything, promoting it all. So when, when, how did you realise that that was a mistake that you needed to kind of scale back to just like a really super tight niche? I think after one, one or two seasons, I was like left with quite a lot of T-shirts. And then when I kind of looked at my website, I realised that, why would you buy laundry from me if I specialised in T-shirts as well? Mm. 
Yes, that was the side I always wanted to go down. There were so many people and, you know, doing T-shirts and what made mine stand out. And I realised not a lot. Mm. And it was kind of that realisation of that. Whereas the lingerie was, I had a niche, I had like a story to tell from it all. And sort of social media wasn't sort of strong as it is now. So I, I couldn't sort of get, it was all sort of press press based. So I realised, right, I need to sort of, when someone clicks onto my website, there's no other like Instagram, there was no other like Instagram or, you know, Facebook pages where people can sort of scroll through and know more about you. So I knew it had to sort of just be lingerie. Okay. And so I want to I want to know a little more detail about that first year because you said you were working with a UK manufacturer and they went bust. And so you... Yeah. So then what were you doing? Were you just sewing a bunch of samples yourself and going out to stores trying to get them to buy? So I so I had a part-time job, which I worked in a shop. And I sort of had the first range, had the fabric sent off to the manufacturer, and they sort of went under, sort of taking all the stuff. So it was kind of starting back from square one. So which made me, looking back now, made me probably a tighter um a tighter range so yeah so I sewed sewed it all up and I basically went on online saw other people independent who they stocked with and thought um would they be my type of stockist Mm. so I sort of booked a flight from Belfast to London and sent um press packs out saying I'm in London for this sort of date it'd be great to come see you drop my stuff off and Topshop was also one of them so I then went to see them and they were like oh we want this range and I showed them the spring summer range and this was in June and they were like oh no we want your autumn winter range so I was like oh okay it's back yeah it's back in Belfast I won't be back for three days I'll send you all the images whereas the reality was I was going back that night and I literally made the whole collection within three days. <laughs> sent, it, <laughs> sent it to them and they were like, yes, you want to take it? And I was like, oh, my God. So, yeah, that was a really good, a really good thing to sort of start with. Wait, so, okay, so you sent press packs out, one of which was to Topshop. You got an appointment. You showed yeah. them the spring-summer range. They said, we want autumn-fall. You said, oh, yeah, let me just send it in a couple days, when in reality it didn't even exist yet. Yeah. You yeah. hustled, sent it, and they bought it. <laughs> I think you I think you have to kind of do a bit. If you believe in yourself, you have to kind of – because I think you only get one chance once you're in front of a buyer. Okay. It was, uh, it was several uh, phone calls back and forth. And I think once you're there, you kind of I think I think yeah, if you get that in, you can sort of probably overpromise. But you, I think because you're so involved and you want your stuff out there, but and yeah. I did spend three months working from seven to eleven at night to make it all for their deadlines. You which wait, I was like, you made, uh, you made production too. I made, I made it all yeah. Because at that time, obviously, I didn't have a UK manufacturer, oh so I. Over 250 pieces. You sewed them all with your two hands? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was a, it was a, I remember I missed autumn completely. And I once I sort of, December was their final drop off. They had two drop, drop lines, one for their website, one for their London store. And I got outside and I was like, where's autumn gone? And it really did freak me out a little bit. I'd spent that much time. And I was like, 
I don't think I can be under that much pressure what just again. Happened. Yeah, yeah, but it was just amazing. I was the first one to stock above a double D, and to walk in in a shop like that as well and see your stuff is pretty amazing. That's huge. Yeah, how do you think you stood out enough to get an appointment with a Topshop buyer? I mean, that's insane. And I know that was a long time ago, and I think, you know, retail's changed since then. But still, that's a huge accomplishment. What do you think you did that made you be able to Um, get that appointment? I think because I think I'd previously worked for Topshop, I think that helped because obviously I mentioned the buyer's name. Okay. But basically, I think I rang up – um, I just rang up and, and asked for the switchboard, the buyer's uh, phone number or email, and they wouldn't give the phone number out to ask for an email. But then when the person replied back, like, oh, you quite sort of vague, send us all your stuff and we'll have a look. Obviously, at the bottom of the email, they always have their phone number mm-hmm. and they have their bit, um, assistant buyer's phone number and details. So once I had them, I could then be only me just letting you know and I kind of updated them like with I'm just doing this I'm just doing that or uh, and I also see seed in their laundry buyers um email as well okay so yeah and then I think a new buyer came on board before I had a chance to because I was emailing the old buyer and usually when that happens is the new buyer wants to put their own stamp on things and see new people mm. so I was able then to go oh here you knew this is my stuff keep you updated to the point maybe being quite pest like <laughs> but, um, yeah did you get more orders from them they only ran one season they had then um kate moss collection in so they cut back all sort of the small brands and i don't and because mine was above i was the only one above a double d i know off the website it sold more than in store but it was a great sort of leverage to when I approached other shops to say, oh, yeah, it's being stopped in the top shop. Yeah. So it was quite a good sort of, because quite a lot of other people ask who you're being stocked with before yeah. they commit themselves. So. so that was a good name to be able to drop. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so then you also had your website. Were you selling on the website direct to consumer at this time also? Yes, yes. Not that much to start with. Um, I mean, I had two websites in the whole run of Banjo, which cost, looking back, probably quite a bit more than I paid. Uh, the first one I got done, when I wanted to even change a page, they're like, oh, it's going to cost you like £300 to pay, uh, change a page. And it was just got, so then I had to then redo with another person. And, and But I used the website as well. There was... Um, I got uh, American stores approached me. I think it was Zoe and Co. They're in New York um, because I had a review in a website called knickersblog.com and they reviewed the lingerie. And then I used to put all like the news or the reviews up. So I used to get a sort of stockists come in mainly through the website more so than individual people. Okay, and so um, so you you kept stocking your product in in stores um, in the U.S. and the U.K. Yeah, and and then what happened? Did you keep growing the business? I got to the point of I was too big to do it by myself. Okay, so this but whole time you're still making everything yourself. I'm still making everything. I've done one run with a U.K. manufacturer, well, a manufacturer based in Wales called AJM. They had done 
um, some briefs and some thongs for me on, on one set. But apart from that, yeah, I was making everything. I mean, well, it seems kind of crazy to me. I mean, you were getting some, you know, decent sized orders, you had decent sized production. Was it just that you couldn't find someone to fit your needs? Um, I think it was mainly cost and minimums, which I think most designers come up with. Yeah. It was like either high minimums or costs. And the fact that I covered sort of from 28C right the way up to 34 F. So there's a lot of sizes. It's not in sort of outerwear. You probably have mm. small, medium, large, extra large, right. or 8 and 12, and you've got three sizes. Right. Whereas I had that alone with the briefs. And then obviously probably 20 odd sizes covered in bras so in some of them I would probably only get like one like a 28e wasn't popular but a 28 double f was okay so was that and I wanted to keep it all consistent I thought if I get the popular sizes made of a manufacturer and I hand make the others it wasn't so I either had to at that point dive in take another loan and expand the business or kind of yeah just kind of close it down which I chose the I chose the latter one yeah and when was that yeah that was 2009 okay I think 2008 I made the decision and then 2009 was the like summer spring summer was the last collection that went out okay and then I had uh, during that time I had quite a lot of people inquire about like how to start their own sort of um start their own label so I used to sort of go back and forth and obviously answer everyone's email. And I got the idea to write a book then on how to become a lingerie designer because it's really hard to find all the information when you sort of first start, I think. Yeah. And so you wrote the book, which you still sell to this day, right? Yeah. So I wrote the book whilst I was working. Part, I went back to a shop. I moved out of where I was living. I went to live with a friend in her spare room. I thought, right, I'll give myself sort of a year. And sort of two or three years later, I was still sort of putting it all together and I was just working part-time in a shop. And I was decided to go back into the laundry industry and uh, got a sponsorship for Melbourne, Australia to sort of work out there for them in a supplier-based um, studio. So I moved to Australia and I'd finished then the book whilst I was in Australia. So I launched it then and then sort of worked for this company just for over a year and then came back to the UK with my idea to do more sort of teaching or tutorials. And so, and then um, went for sort of other sort of laundry work to sort of see. But then sort of the closest one to me was like a two hour commute. And I was like, so I ended up decided I'll set up my own sort of freelancing business to help um, brands start up because that that was the bit I was most passionate about. When someone comes to you, they've probably got no experience, but they've got probably an amazing idea, and they're not sort of stopped by what's out there or not knowing what they're doing, sort of thing. So I now I provide all the technical support for people. So they'll probably send me a sketch and I can do all like their tech packs, do all their spec sheets, um, do all their technical drawings and have been doing that and continuing to write write all more technical books. 
Okay, so so you went from having your brand to kind of leaning more towards an educational and then service based stuff, and like how you you mentioned you're like I, oh I wrote the book and then I just launched it like what <laughs> that sounds I mean it's like okay that sounds really simple but like how how did you really like do that and get yourself out there and get some you know get people's eyes on the book I mean you had a following obviously from the brand from Vanjo yeah. but like I it, I don't think it's quite as simple as that no. <laughs> so um so when I write once I uh, wrote the book I was setting up um a website which was um how to become a lingerie designer okay so i thought well if you're searching for that that's that will probably be then the top one that's why i sort of named it that i thought well you're kind of searching for what you want so i might as well name the book and and the website that and it sort of did lingerie blogs um quite loosely and a bit bit technicals stuff but i didn't really have that much time to spend on it because i was working as a lingerie designer in Australia. Okay. But so, so once the book, so it was a self-published book. So then I sold it um, to one of the uh, publishers that I worked with. They do it automatically where they put it on Amazon for you. So I, um, so I sold it mainly through Amazon, just sort of a self-published book and, and on Kindles. And then it was once I returned back to the UK I was then able to um, improve my website, get it not just about a blog in this book. It was more about um, more of the technical side. And so I made it into like an ebook as well on my website and then sort of wrote uh, Anatomy of a Bra, sort of extra books that people could be looking for and how to spec a bra and brief, how to write a technical pack for a bra and brief. So all the bits that when you think, oh, I want to design lingerie, but don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. The stuff you need when, if you're going to approach a factory, one of the first things they will sort of probably ask you for is if you have a technical drawing or a tech pack, which which they can cost it from. So it was mainly from that. And I just, with Banjo as well, I had quite a, quite a lot of free press, just mainly by sending like press packs or information to magazines or or niche blogs. So I kind of did the same with the book. I sort of sent it to um, sort of laundry blogs or sent them a copy for them to review. Mm. And I think that's where, I think that's what helps if you're willing to send out your products to places which will like review them or take a look rather than just tell them about it. Yeah. Okay, so you you started like you had your books, you started blogging, creating some technical support, additional resources via how to start a lingerie brand.com, which got yeah. you to the top of Google. Um so that yeah. kind of all happened like some of that traction built organically, so but that, then you yeah. put yourself out there quite a bit. You were mailing stuff out. Yeah. So then um because when I came back, I started, when I came back to the UK from Australia, I started a master's in um, the business fashion. So that's, I, my idea was to go to do like lecturing in um, lingerie. And then I had my first child in the year of coming back to the UK. So that's when, when I was looking for lingerie, or maybe I should go back to lingerie work. That was when the two hour commute, I was like, I can't really commute two hours each way with a baby yeah so that was that was when it kind of gave me the push to kind of set up and kind of get serious a bit about it so I'd kind of been oh 
well, you know, it'd be nice. I've had my brands and I've worked on it all. That was really good. Yeah. And I worked really hard. And then it was like, okay. And then I kind of worked in Australia and I sort of wrote this book, which is what I really wanted to do. But sort of by having him, it kind of made me get serious on the fact that, well, actually, I need to sort of generate some sort of more money coming in if I can't physically a traveller to our commute to go to a work. Yeah. So by then, that's what sort of expanded. It was how to become an lingerie designer.com. And so that's what kind of got rebranded to uh, design.com And and that's where, um, I mean, I take clients now where basically they'll tell me their ideas and I'll tell them whether it's feasible, probably have like Skype them, have a good chat about it all, tell them all their next steps. And then they make the decision whether they want me to do like their technical drawings or their spec sheets, do any patterns, do any grading for them okay. and sort of advise them on their way on their brand. Okay. So then, so did all of that like freelance work kind of build off of the momentum from all the content you had put out and people just started approaching you because they had found that? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the books obviously helped because it, kind of shows what I knew what I was talking about mm-hmm. but then I try now to try blog twice a week not twice a week twice a month <laughs> and consistent and sort of offer the free content of like um in industry knowledge or cause I think there's not really that many technical books especially in the lingerie side of things yeah because you always come up on a stump of well I've got this great idea to be a designer and you don't have to go to university. I think university's brilliant in the knowledge you learn and to um, keep up your momentum, but it's not always available or feasible for everybody. Yeah. So this is kind of all the books to kind of get you a bit of knowledge about it all. And then if you're still like, oh, I don't know, then that's where I come in. And I've worked alongside brands, either doing their patterns or some just want um, a, a Skype chat to kind of tell them the next sort of next leg of the of their journey. So, okay, wow, there's like so many different directions we could take this because I feel like there's people out there listening who want to do the freelance side of things, like you're doing. There's also people that want to do the brand side of things. So I think we probably have time to talk a little bit about both. So. Let's talk about the brand side of things. Like, what are you seeing? Um, so you're working with a lot of people who are starting or have started or want to start their lingerie brand. Yeah. Like, what are you, what are you seeing them um, come to you with uh, in terms of where they're at? What mistakes are they making? What, you know, can you walk us a little bit through that process? Yeah. So I always try to get people when they come to me to have, have an idea of their brand, of where they want to go. Because quite a few people go, I want to start a brand. Can you give me any information? And I was like, whoa. <laughs> That's quite a bigger, quite a big ask. So it's all like questions of who's your niche customer um, and kind of get them sort of tailored in so they, you know, so they can give me more. And I can basically work with if they sketch something out or if they label something. And I, I mainly take it from people who haven't got any knowledge of the fashion industry or the laundry industry or haven't um, uh, any sort of knowledge of sort of how to draw or what to do next, really. For some people, it could be like an ethical brand. It could be a type of fabric they're using. 
They could be wanting to solve a certain problem that they've got that they think other people could have within the laundry industry, um, like could be like to do with fastenings or anything like that. So I then, I then I then take them through what they have to complete, sort of the general timeline of everything, and to sort of get them to research like all the factories or where they want to get it made and all the questions they probably haven't thought of, and then. I would then send them like a price list of like, this is how much it will cost for a technical drawing. This is how much it will cost for a tech pack and then break down what each one's for. And then this is what it will cost for if you want me to do a pattern or grading or let them know some factories uh, prefer to do their own grading. So kind of giving them all the information, but kind of getting them to kind of take ownership of their brand and kind of do a lot of the legwork so they kind of know. Yeah, because I think like one thing I've heard from a lot of freelancers who work with a lot of startups um, is there's a lot of hand holding at the beginning um, in terms of just educating them, letting yeah. them know why they need what. And there's sometimes it can almost feel like justifying what you're doing for them. And yeah. so you made the comment you kind of, you know, push them to do some of the legwork. Like how yeah. how how are you doing that? What do you mean by that? So I would get them to I would give them places to look for a factory or say, I know these factories, but you need to contact them or this is what you need to do next. Um and basically give them a timeline of once I've done your technical drawing and your tech pack, your next step is and then tell them either source of factory, source your fabrics um and just kind of so i think it's their brand and my ideal aim would be would be to help somebody start their brand get the momentum going and for them to sort of do their brand because i think it's important for them to learn as much as they go along as well yeah so you you give them like the next steps and you point them in the right direction but then they go and do the yeah. research and the inquiries okay yeah, I mean, and some of them I found don't get past. Maybe I've done a technical drawing or tech pack, and some of them either they found the factories minimums are too high, or they've realised the implications of all the costs or the times. And sometimes that's as far as it gets. Others would probably take all that, and then and I explained to them it's probably going to take longer than you think it will. <laughs> don't worry, <laughs> don't worry about it. If I don't hear from you for three months, and then you come back to me because that's completely fine as well. Because you'll then, within that time, you'll probably mistakes or problems will occur, but then you'll you'll have been able to solve them, or you'll change direction, or you'll think actually I don't need to have twelve designs in my range. Three, <laughs> three fine so I kind of they because I think it's always good for them to sort of come with this great idea and then for me to kind of tell them right this is what I'm thinking and I sort of say why like if you have 12 designs you're going to have to fit them all you're going to have to grade them all you're going to have to have technical drawings for them all this is the costs whereas if you have three it's a lot quicker yeah if you have um if you do like certain colors it'll be quicker if you want to do that bright orange you're thinking of, you've got to get all your trims to match. Just little things which they probably haven't thought about. Right. 
So, okay, it, I mean, I hear a little bit of like a chicken and the egg thing because you're saying, you know, on one hand, you a lot of people come to you, they get the technical drawing and the tech pack, and then that's kind of the end of it because by the time they go to the factories and they see what the minimums and the costs are, it, it just becomes not feasible. But then on another hand, it's like you kind of – on some level to talk to the factory you need to show them some type of drawing and if you yeah. want them to take you seriously the drawing needs to be professional so like yeah. you have any advice or thoughts around that of like what's the best way for someone to start to figure out if this is a feasible path for them to go down in the most cost effective way so they don't waste their own time and money and anybody else's time and money i think it is to start small and start strong so start with your one design if you don't need a brief if you're um designs about the bra i mean some people just do it a bra and not a brief and that's just one thing that they've got to worry about so i think if you know why you're doing it or who your niche market is i think that's so important mm-hmm. um so you're not just i mean why would that customer design uh, buy from you you're not just making pretty bras i mean pretty bras will sell but you're not just sort of oh I've got this great idea and you're on a whim doing it if you've researched it a bit more because some people come away and they've approached a a factory and and they've gone oh god that is sort of costly so they've come back and we've gone through what we can change what we can get rid of and they've made their next step of well I've got these ideas I can hold on to them say for the next season and they've gone on to probably do a smaller range of it all okay I love that advice. It's something that's come up over and over on the show of like, just start small with one or two pieces, really prove the concept, learn your mistakes through like something, you know, really manageable, one item. Um, And then I think you've, sorry, got time to approach a magazines or press or you've done a photo shoot. Yeah. And rather than, because if you do so much, so much can get lost. If you've got one small, strong product, you've got more chance of like sort of getting noticed yeah from that one bit because you're probably more able to get press from it right okay um so so that's kind of the beginnings of the process for someone who wants to start a brand and then as you from a freelancer's perspective um are you how are you working with people? Do you do like consulting? Do you do flat rate stuff for certain services? What does that look like? Uh, I usually either do, I charge if they wanted to do um, sort of advice or chats on the brand, I usually charge per hour. But I usually at the start, I would just chat, usually chat to people if it's going to, and then I have a usually a quote pack. So when people contact me, I let them know what I'm doing and then usually send the quotes out. But then obviously state that if it's bigger or smaller jobs, this can obviously be altered. Sure. And I find doing that, that kind of saves sort of my time in the fact that I haven't had to find, because before I did this, I would find out exactly what they were trying to do, what did they want and and that would be like emailing back and forth. So now I usually send out a sort of a price list and then sort of go from there. And then that sort of gets altered if they're doing sort of, or if they want more than one, if they want a technical drawing and a tech pack and a spec sheet or a pattern, then the, obviously the price will get reduced. 
and it will be tailored for exactly what they want or if they just want one thing then it can go from there and then I'll sort of um, give them a timeline of where I'm at and where I can fit their work in into my schedule and so yes yeah, so I, I go and then if it's a continual thing I would then I always keep a diary and it's literally got in um who I've worked on for that day and how much time I've spent so it could it could be like a name for a brand and literally 20 minutes sending emails or working on something they wanted me to work on extra and then at the end and then at the end of the month I would then tally it all up and then that will be charged sort of on a um hourly rate and then some companies would state uh, let me know when you get to, I don't know, 10 hours a month. Sure. Or let me know when you get to this, or I don't want you working um, above this amount per month, this month. So I always let them know. I keep a detailed sort of breakdown of exactly what I'm working on. So then when I, I would email, usually at the end of the month, do weekly um, like breakdowns of exactly what I've worked on. And then it sort of tots up at the end of the month for it all. Okay. Um, so I love that, like how clear you have that all outlined and then the sort of limits that the customer gives you because yeah. obviously they have a budget they're trying to work within. Yeah. Um, I try to set that out all before like, any work gets, gets done. So there's nothing worse, I think, than not realizing someone's probably – working away, working away, and suddenly you've got this massive bill. Yeah, or, I've heard that story or, before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or I say, like, oh, is there a set time you want me to tell you I've worked on it? And different companies is different things. Some will be, especially if they're new, just um, by the end of the month, if you've done more than two hours' work of emails or working on this, that, and the other, let me know. Some of it could be more like up to 20 hours or yeah. Well, I think it's such an interesting space because I know when it comes to freelancing, a lot of people have questions about, um, you know, should I charge for email correspondence or, you know, what if I quoted them a flat rate for, yeah. you know, this thing, but then they keep emailing me asking me for a ton of revisions or they keep emailing me asking me yeah. for advice. And there's, it's such a fine line. Yeah. So I think where it, do you find the balance with that? On my uh, original quotes I send out I state any changes that be made will be charged um at my hourly rate uh, but all this will be and then and then I state that they have to make all the changes they want this is like after I say if I've done a, a full project and they've come back and go I just because it'd be can you just can you just change that line and <laughs> probably reduce reduce those briefs down for a tanga size rather than a full brief and it and in theory, that that little bit sometimes doesn't take you long, but once you've got like lots of people uh, making requests, so I then get them all to do it in writing, and then state this might take this approximately about a time. You will be charged at this rate per hour. Please confirm whether you want to go ahead. And regarding emails, usually it depends on the project. I mean, if it's a small project with that I know I've got to just, if it's really quick emails back and forth, I don't usually generally charge to, because you don't want to be too overcharging, if that makes sense, on all the little bits. But if it's been something where you've had emails back and forth a lot before you've even got started to your work, 
and that would be the bit I would usually charge the emails on because obviously you're giving your advice and you're kind of directing them on everything. Okay, so you just kind of use your best judgment call as to like yeah. when, yeah, it's it's a tough space. I know and, it's and just it's, let them know really because most yeah. people go, oh, well, they probably don't realize to. So I try to set everything out on my original quote. Yeah, and then state. I can email. Um, I do not mind being CC'd in on emails from factories if you want, like, factory advice and, like, what to ask for them and stuff. But this will be charged. Right. Just to kind of, yeah. I think if you upfront completely ahead, you're going to – I think that's a lot easier than yeah. sort of get down. Because I have done in the past. I've got really down, like – gosh that took me like x amount of hours longer and I didn't state that to start with and some of it you is a learning curve and and now I've just learned right if I just get everything out and I think you kind of end up end up working with better people you don't end up working with the time wasters if you've been really clear up front about everything wait say that again what about time wasters I, I think if you be really clear about everything and your costs and this might cost you more I think you end up working with more people that say want the want their final product to look amazing rather than people who want you to do everything for sort of a time wasters of can you just email the factory this can you just do that I mean probably not expecting to pay for it all Oh, okay, gotcha. So people that like, you find the more upfront you are about the pricing than the more the customer, meaning the brand that you're working with, takes yeah, some of the control in their own hands and yeah. them the legwork themselves. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, and then how are most people finding you and, ha- you know, like, because that's another thing. So many people out there, you know, maybe want to freelance or want to get some work on the side. But it's like, you know, where do you find these clients? Um, so where are all your clients coming from? Um, mine either come from just looking at my uh, – obviously, they all come through my website. Mm-hmm. Um, looking from a website where people come from um, – on social media, Pinterest and Instagram are my two highest. Okay. Um, and then I think uh, from – I've still got how to become a lingerie designer feeding into um, com. So I think some people start with buying the books and then lead into probably contacting me. And others, I think it does help that I do do a blog as well. So I'm sort of giving out sort of information about either the industry or the technical side of everything. Mm-hmm. So that kind of builds someone's sort of confidence in what you can do. Yeah. So you've so. spent a lot of time, obviously, I mean, you know, you wrote your book a long time ago and you started blogging a long time ago and you have your active social media, but you spent time <coughs> building a foundation where you would get a lot of inbound referrals from people just discovering you by doing their own research and then it leads to a project. Yeah, more so now. I mean, it's taken a while. Within the first year, which was fine because I had like a three-month-old baby, I probably – the first year I didn't really get any – I got a few, probably one or two clients, people coming through, but not a lot. Whereas now I'll probably – I've got – I've had clients from Australia, Africa, Germany. Sort of – it's like a worldwide – where, where people find you, which is really good. That's really cool. Do you find, um, what are like some of the challenges that you find working with people in different countries? Are there like really high FedEx bills, like with samples going back and forth? Or how do you logistically manage some of that? 
Um, with, well, so I'm up front with anything, any patterns I produce, anything like that, then they would pay for post and packaging. I then, or I do mainly most stuff online. So with patterns as well, I can, and because obviously laundry patterns are so small, you can scan them in and send them over, <laughs> um, which, which is a bonus. And then, yeah, sort of technical drawings. Everything is mainly done either via Skype and where we're each person's holding up what, what they exactly mean or it's all done. And then I usually after the Skype, I would then email all the notes up about what we spoke about and all the next steps. But it's mainly done either, yeah, mainly through either Skype or emails, really. Okay, so you're not doing much with physical samples and prototypes no, and things no. like that. With I have done some with samples. That's been mainly in the UK. I've done some um, also with Australia. So, but again, because it's laundry or swimwear, that it's you, you're not shipping big. You're not shipping big weight. Right. A bra on a brief is you can in a little jiffy bag and off you go, really. Gotcha. Um, cool. Because I know that's a question that comes up a lot with people. They're like, well, do I review the prototype or does the customer review it? And then are we just shipping it back? Or am I asking the factory for two prototypes? Um, in that situation I've had, I would, I usually got the sample sent to the customer first. Okay. And then it was up to them whether they then sent it if they wanted to send it on to me to look over, to go through um, all the fitting comments or the, or anything like that, I would do. But I, I make or let the client be responsible for, for their samples for everything. Okay. So I always get, let them see it first, them to have the full-on judgments and then send me pictures. And then if they want to send me the sample as well to look over and to measure up, or if they want the factory to send it to me directly, then that's something they've got to sort out. Okay. And then I can receive it, and I've got a, I've got to have a place where I have samples still stored from sort of previous clients, or then then I send it on to them, and so I kind of let the client decide that. Okay, but it sounds like you, um, which it seems to me was pro- it's probably good balance. You let the client drive the ship for most of the time, and then you're there as like a high level expert to do some of the specific tasks that they can't do, or to just give them the advice and consultation on on making sure they're going in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think because I when I had my brand, it was so it's kind of like your baby. It's your kind of you didn't really want to let let things go you sort of wanted to be in control of it all and so because I've been there and done that that's what I want from um the clients I work for I want to be able to give them right here's a blank I've done all your your spec sheets here's a blank spec sheet as well for you to try try go on and do it so I'm trying to like as well as supporting them to also educate them to let them know they can do their own stuff and then to save money further down the line and for them to take control of it and to learn more about the industry. Yeah. No, I think like that's why that's why I said I think it's a really good balance because I've seen a lot of people, you know, go through the startup process and I think it is really important to be involved and you know, at some point you you can learn so many things. Sometimes you have do have to outsource or hire an expert like yeah. you. Um, but it is still good to kind of get your hands dirty and be involved. Um, and yeah. a lot of times most of them want to. Yeah, I think there's nothing worse than you've probably done your first collection and then you're like, oh, 
I'm back at the start again and I haven't I've, and they're no further forward with knowing yeah. anything so I like to sort of give them everything and then go right you can find you could find the factories I don't know try LinkedIn try um people per hour if you're looking for a different sort of person to do if you need to outsource something else or just kind of give them the leads or directions yeah and sometimes they just want that support of knowing they're on the right track or to bounce ideas off or or for you to say that's what you know I haven't seen stuff that gets sort of sent to me like some people might ask have I seen this before or or in the industry or they want something new should they take out a patent so it's just sometimes the the advice that they're looking for as well as sort of the help yeah um and now from what i've seen on social media you're relaunching vanjo again is that right yeah it's exciting times yeah can you talk about that for a little bit for a couple minutes because i can yeah yeah sure um so when i closed vanjo i was always obviously you've seen other laundry brands that had probably started around about your same time or you had met them at um industry shows and stuff so i was always like a little bit oh okay i've closed it down moving on to something else and slightly in the back of my mind i've always thought i'll be really good to go back to it one day but no sort of opportunity was there and i think now there's a lot more um brands that do the smaller back the bigger boobs or use the reclaimed fabrics which i did as well um but i've but it sort of seems the next natural step sort of 10 years on to kind of kind of go back to it so it's going to be done but on a smaller scale so I'm not sort of targeting stockists as much it'll probably be more online uh, and um updated the designs and it's still all about like the workmanship so it'll still all be fully lined and stuff so it's sort of laundry which lasts laundry which I still think there's a niche in the market for bigger cup sizes with smaller bags and this one will be concentrated more on the soft bra which is one of my best sellers previously rather than the underwired bras so I'm just going to sort of yes see how it goes and I don't think there's as much pressure this time um, than previously and I think there's probably a different I've seen a difference already in sort of relaunching it this time obviously last time there wasn't a big social media mm-hmm. so that's sort of a, a big sort of side of it all I think it's weird it's kind of like it's easy it's easier now I think for anyone to launch their own um, laundry brand but harder in a way because it's easier for everyone to launch their laundry brand if that makes sense <laughs> it's like a cyclical Whereas thing back, yeah it's like it's, it's a lot easier to do because there's more information out there or there's more you could get a lot more sort of um people knowing about your your laundry or your, or your brand through social media but because that's obviously accessible to everyone it's kind of harder now to kind of have your niche or to stand out yeah uh, are you going to make everything yourself again, including production? I am, yeah. I, I, can, I do like that side of it all. It's you quite do? A, you love yeah, the side. Yeah, it's quite a, a therapeutic sort of bits to work out the patterns or the fits. And and plus, because I'm not aiming as big this time. Okay. Obviously, if it went a bit mental, I would. I've got the contacts now to sort of, <laughs> sort of pull in the um, manufacturers more so now than, than previously. 
but yeah, so I can I've got, I'll I feel I've got more control over it this time because it's not so like before I was living you know in a new place and this was my sort of job and I had to get everything going and I didn't know what I was going to do if it failed. Whereas now it's kind of not about that. It's sort of about producing great laundry, which fits for a bigger cup and giving uh, women the choice about that. Yeah. Rather than sort of it being about me, it's sort of about about the laundry. Yeah. Are you going to do uh, made to order or are you going to create some inventory? Uh, no, I'll do uh, made to order, I think. Okay. And that sort of keeps, because obviously the sizes go again so vastly, uh, like 20 sizes in the bra sizes, that keeps then um, everything a bit smaller as well. Gotcha. And what's the timeline for that? When can we go to to um, come and buy? I think. Well, I'm hoping in mid September. Oh wow! So okay, so actually, that, the podcast will already be live by then. Nice. Yeah, we're not. This won't come out until I think it's in uh, November. So everybody, okay. you can yeah, they can they can already shop. Hopefully by then. Yeah. Yes, it'll definitely be by then for sure. Okay. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Just in time life. for holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So cool. You have so many things going on and you've like built such this amazing career trajectory by just, you know, doing all these things and writing and the blog turns into a book, turns into freelancing, turns into your own brain. I mean, everything just has created this giant, uh, I don't even know what to call it. It's like all come, I think, yeah, all come together kind of, I feel I've been full circle. I think you've got to kind of follow, um, not, yeah, I suppose follow your heart and where and where you think you should be. Because I've had so many people when I like, moved to Belfast and I was opening my brand, they're like, oh, you should move back to England. You haven't got, you don't know anyone there. And just, and then when I closed it all down, it was like, are you doing the right thing? And then I moved to Australia and then sort of come back. And I think you've just got to follow where you think you should be in your career. Yeah. But you also did a lot of things really smart. I mean, you learned to start small. You sent out the press packs. You sent things out to bloggers to get press coverage. You know, you wrote the book. You bought the URL that you were like, oh, this is what people are searching for. I'll just buy the exact URL. (laughs) I think there's a lot of little things that you did um, that have really sort of added up. And it's interesting because they're all sort of lessons that a lot of them, at least, are lessons that I see coming up over and over in in the podcast interview. I do and the people that have you know had this sort of organic trajectory but it's like there's really smart things they've done along the way to get to where they are yeah I think it's you don't ever see what people are doing behind Mm -hmm. behind all this stuff or you suddenly see them you're like oh I'd love to do that but you probably haven't seen the fact that they've done x amount of years kind of taking that curved path to get to where they are now yeah it's the iceberg, um, the yeah. iceberg effect, if you've ever heard of that. Definitely, it's like yeah. 10% is what you see, but you don't see the 90% that's under the water that we yeah. saw the building. Yeah, um, that little duck paddling its legs like mad, we can see is it beautifully gliding across. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This has been so lovely to chat with you, Lori. You, yeah, we you connected too. on Instagram randomly a while ago. And have just and it was so good since. To, yeah. So, um because obviously I work from home so Instagram I've met so many sort of cool people sort of through there who do 
a similar thing was yeah and just sort of contacted him through then so it was lovely to speak to you and I, we spoke before which was just an awesome sort of little chat of like how you doing what are you doing yeah so it was really nice to sort of speak again and and talk yeah so cool to hear your whole story and journey it's really impressive what you've built for yourself so congratulations you should be proud thank um, you. yeah and thanks so much for coming on the show um one last question before we close um the yeah. question i ask everybody at the end of the interview is what is one thing people never ask you about working in fashion that you wish they would oh wow um i don't know actually <laughs> i get asked and the question, this is not going to answer your question, but a question that I used to get asked all the time is when I told people what I did was, oh, do you get to see a lot of boobs? <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, well, you kind of, yeah. Um, I think it's my my advice, I think, or question that I probably don't get asked is, oh, I'm trying to think now. I would say the fact that you should probably start before you're ready. I think... Mm. Yeah, a lot of people sort of um, probably don't start before they're ready. They think they should have so they should have like all their ducks in line. They should wait till they've got everything. So I think the question I think yeah needs to be asked is when if when 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 would be right to be ready? And I think the question the answer would just be now. I think you just got to go start small, start it strong, and then sort of see where it leads you. Because once you start going, you can you know whether you're going in the right direction. Whereas I think if you are, st- are still and you're sort of umming and ahhing about what, what to do, you're going to be there a year later. Whereas if you go, right, okay, I'm going to go now. And then if you are in the wrong direction or it's not working out, you're more likely to turn in the right direction rather than just sort of being stood still. Yeah, I love that. And I've, I've heard that before and I've told people that too. Just like, just start doing something. You'll learn along the way, yeah. you'll mess up, yeah. you'll have a lot of mistakes. But like, if yeah. you don't, you'll, you'll like you said, you'll wait another year and, and it won't get started. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Awesome. I love that. Um, and then where are all the places people can connect with you online? So uh, my website is vanjonson.com. So V-A-N-J-O-N-S-S-O-N. Uh, D-E-S-I-G-N Van Janssen Design and then uh, Instagram is the same handle uh, Van Janssen Design and my Facebook page is still on its old one of how to become a lingerie designer but it's, it's just slowly being altered okay to awesome. Van Janssen Design okay. once they do it and is the brand <laughs> the brand relaunch is going to be under Vanjo V-A-N-J-O dot com yeah yeah okay. that's the one and then also on the Van Janssen design, you can there'll be a link through there anyway, and there's a bit about a blurb about the um, the brand as well. But it will get its own Vanjo uh, page okay. once it's going. I love it. I'll put links to all that in the show notes. Thank Brilliant. you so much for chatting, Lori. It was thank really you. lovely to get to know you better and hear more of your story. You too. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you. If you enjoy this podcast and you are part of a Facebook group where other people are hanging out that you think would enjoy this type of content, tips and advice and strategies on getting ahead in the fashion industry, I would be so grateful if you would share the podcast there. There's too many people out there saying they wish they found out about the show sooner. And so help me help them by getting their ears, listening to the show, 
right now. So go ahead and share the show if you're part of a Facebook group and you think that this is valuable content that others would find valuable as well. Of course, as always, if you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 73. Thanks so much, and I'll talk to you in the next successful fashion designer podcast episode.